Yeah, I'm not. I don't think any of us are in the right headspace to be doing a lot of intellectual labour today. <laughs> this twice, twice. It is disingenuous. Once, once, I the situation now is even worse. Flood is not above the poverty line. Also, it doesn't like it. Thirteen percent of people are in a union, and if. Like, you can't just read into that and say, like, well, if all 13, if 13% of the workforce stopped, then that would change everything. Like, technically, yeah, th- that would put a big, like, spanner in the wrench, spanner in the works. But the fact that only 13% of people are in the union speaks to a broader condition of, like, powerlessness and not at all, like, the mindset for a general strike. Yeah. Like, it's just Also, not- just like, all right, do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. did you do okay. it? Oh, you can't. Oh, you, see, you can't make a general strike happen. Yeah. Like, you can call for one, but it's meaningless unless you can back it up. Like, see, when I say that, uh, here's my plan for fixing the world. I then go out and do it. Yeah, the Greens are going to win government. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, or I think least... there's a strong like yeah. um, intersection with posting energy here. Um, maybe we should just start. You want to start? Yeah, yeah. Let's get into okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Um, in so far as like, there's maybe more of a emphasis on winning the argument or saying the right thing um, like that almost seems to be the goal rather than, you know, doing the thing in real life. Um, if you couldn't tell, we're talking about, uh, what are we even talking about? Are we talking about hope. Yeah. We're talking about hope on the left. Is, is it well, okay to have hope for the future? Yeah. Uh, and and the, the left culture of like anti-hope, I guess. Yeah. So, I, I will be taking a contrarian position on this <laughs> podcast and I will be arguing that hope is racist <laughs> and if you think that it's possible for tomorrow to be better than today and that something good might happen to you in your life, um, yeah, like, th- check your privilege. Yeah. That the un- right. the and only, be sad. The be only sad. Politi- You're not sad enough. The only politically correct position is wanting to die in the climate apocalypse. Yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, none of us believe that. And I think, like, as... Members of the Greens, but also people who generally want to like do things in the world and hopefully have a positive impact. Um, we wanted to do this podcast, I guess, kind of laying out why we feel that way. Uh, and I think there is some intersection with electoral politics um, because that tends to be the vehicle through which a lot of these more concrete proposals <laughs> for having hope are expressed. Like, uh, at least I'm thinking about the Queensland Greens. I think like a lot of, you know, mainstream electoral parties don't actually do this. Certainly the Labor Party doesn't. Um, but, you know, like the the Greens forum for an 18-year plan for a Greens government has recently like ruffled a lot of feathers of people who think that's actually bad to want to be the government or to plan for a future where we are in power. Um, and I think that speaks to like a broader... Yes, as Declan was saying, a broader sort of culture on the left of of not either not wanting to or um, actively like problematizing or, or saying it's it's bad to want to you know change things in a in a meaningful fashion through you know conventional uh, mechanisms like taking power. Yeah, it's what you were saying before about um about the way these arguments happen online and and you're totally right there is obviously a re- like a, a really important relationship to posting here where you see arguments where people have putting a position down for like staking a staking a claim around a radical pre- like proposition so like whether it's abolition or a call for a general strike things of this nature and then when like if there's any sort of question being like well I don't I don't think that's a really meaningful claim to make because there's no concrete path to actualizing that like i don't think there is a concrete path to actualizing abolition that i've seen that that i find compelling like i don't think i think we could win abolition but i think it's probably a 200 year project because you're going to need to reduce all the traumatized people who are going to who that trauma can manifest in violence etc or you know a general strike which we just don't have the organizational capacity to pull off and then if sort of like the questioning of well look is that actually like a meaningful claim to make if we can't do it is well actually yeah we can do it it's just this lack of it's it, i guess it's a lack of commitment from other people and what you're showing right now is that you're a coward mm. who doesn't want to who doesn't want these things yeah well the reason i said that it it, it intersects so strongly with, with the world of posting is because it just reminds me of 
um, when I was like a not someone who was not involved with with politics in the real world and used to just get all like I just thought of politics as something that happened online like it didn't really occur to me that there was another realm to it and I just remember like if, if something happened like some big you know, thing in the news or something that was generating a lot of takes online, there'd be that feeling of like scrolling through and being like, oh, now this person seems to have a good take. Oh, shit. No, this person has a better take that's like taking down the first take and you have to find like the correct take to, you know, bestow your like upon, Um, which kind of sometimes is what it feels like with these kind of discussions, like what is the the theoretically right thing to say? Um, And that bears very little relationship to what is happening in real life or what's possible instead of just seeing it as like a a balance of different opinions and like different perspectives and different forces and like not seeing it as something that can just be like like there's a the key to the lock of the problem like Mm. we just have to uh, get the theoretically correct answer to the thing and that's like the actual uh like mechanism by which we're going to resolve the problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, cause, and there's something that that Liam said as well in the last in the last cast, which was something like, obviously, like winning abolition is it's a much bigger project than winning a Greens government. Same as like winning, like for us, like winning a seat is something that probably around like a core group of twenty or thirty people and and like a. Uh, like an extension around two or three hundred people can can really meaningfully change like what happens in an electoral context but that is but we couldn't possibly organize a, a strike meaningfully like in any workforce let alone one across the whole of society so it seems like this idea that it's it's easier to do the big things than it is to do a small thing um is it's it's really there and i think it's i think a lot of this is about like kind of positioning yourself as someone who who is big on justice and like is is correct on justice as opposed to trying to position yourself as as a member of a class society looking to change that society like between this historical moment and to some like imagined one in the future that is better Mm -hmm. that's kind of that's really true actually about like i've had a lot of very bad and pointless online arguments which are just solely about these like big ideas like police abolition good or bad um well i don't know what else just like the these really kind of like the largest possible scale of just like the green new deal is it good or is it bad like (laughs) and and that's like so many of these especially in these kind of online spaces and like uh like kind of abstract academic spaces the whole discussions is channeled around these things um and you know, and firstly, what that does is like render invisible the actual much more interesting and like uh, more rewarding um, uh, problems of just like how do I get ten people to an event in one week's time, mm. and how do I get each of those ten people to have ten conversations with a stranger, um, which is actually a problem of like it, it requires more of your brain as a problem of greater complexity even just like like a one-on-one social problem of how do i talk this one person with everything that's in their brain into maybe like chain like just be going from like a three to a two or even just like like, record like recognizing some of their interests as aligned with some of your interests despite being very different people and like with very different positions in society right like that yeah. that conversation of wrecking like mutually recognizing our interests is really important yeah 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 and that like that actually like despite being theoretically that's kind of lower in stake than like getting the correct answer on police abolition but in practice, that's actually a much more interesting and complex problem, and in fact, has a much bigger impact on the world. Yeah, I mean, and like, and also doesn't go around in circles and doesn't lead you into a rut in the same way that the like the online discussion does. Yeah, and that's what get gets lost, right? <laughs> like, what, like, what impact does any of this have in the, on the world? Yeah, and I mean, it's an interesting question because I also don't. I, I think like sometimes we get 
accused or people who share our politics are accused of being kind of like vulgar even know what the word is like vulgar donarchists like people who just <laughs> <laughs> believe in like action uh and that theory doesn't matter which i also don't really think is true um like theory is obviously an incredible incredibly important tool for like understanding the world and and shaping it as well um but i guess like there's just been this shift probably that i mean there's like academia has a lot to answer for here as well I think and the the kind of retreat of left-wing politics into academia maybe has something to do with this but this shift into thinking that theory is something uh that theory is somehow like is a almost a material reality in and of itself that it it has an impact outside of just being what it is um whereas like yeah if you I guess if you go door knocking you pretty quickly realize it's not that you know that there are a lot of things in the real world that actually you know, do mirror what we kind of learned in the world theoretically, but there are also a lot of things that don't. And especially with these kind of intra-left arguments about like whether police abolition is good or bad, it's not really, it just doesn't track. Like, I mean, I not. I don't think that most people think about that stuff. And that's not to say that that is, means it's meaningless or like useless, but it just requires like a different approach, I guess. If you have, if you want to do an abolition project, you have to, like first, I guess, accept that most people don't come to this idea. Um, like it's it's not like a natural part of their thinking. Like it, like there has to be some convincing and and organizing involved, and not just like I don't know, winning arguments online. Yeah, and I think like so much of this as well is because these kind of things, like, and the the way that these arguments kind of take place online, like, is the Green New Deal good or is it bad? Is like the they're talking about the Green New Deal as a concept. Mm, like, yeah, exactly. And so everyone's like conceiving of it in this certain way and then arguing about whether their conception of it is is good or bad versus other people's conception of it, whether it's good or bad, which is kind of meaningless because it doesn't actually materially exist. Like right, we don't exactly. have a Green New Deal. We yeah. don't have a government doing it like, like a, a huge infrastructure program designed to like alleviate the, the coming terror of climate change. So it doesn't really matter whether it's good or bad it could be good it could be bad like it does it it's in the future Mm. and also like yeah like if you talk to somebody say if you were door knocking for the green new deal or something you would be talking about things like i don't know um fuck what even is (laughs) okay now having a brain fart like that you'd be talking about um jobs jobs like retraining people like you know a lot of these people who would either have um, experience working in fossil fuel industries or know someone who did and would you know you'd be talking about like how what their medium term survival and employment like you wouldn't be talking about whether the green new deal is good or bad yeah like i think when you say like the real world enough people start to get mad at you like when you <laughs> when you tell people to log off and like go and door knock and talk to real people um like they tell you, you to shut up path? and that they already do yeah 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 they tell you to shut up and they say well oh so you're just like asserting it's like oh like you're saying that your politics is more realistic than ours but actually what you're doing is just like asserting from principle that like you just have a greater like you just have a greater claim to pragmatism and it's like you're just cutting off like other avenues of um like strategy or whatever yeah and 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 i think even like the 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 tacit like um criticism here is that you're circumscribing the possible like when you're saying i look i don't think we are about to win abolition what you're you're like the the accusation is well i'm thinking what you're saying is that you don't like it's not going to happen now because of you thinking this and saying this and i kind of sympathize with that because that's what labor says to us all the time because labor think Mm. that they're the left wing of the possible um and so and because that that is the argument that's just deployed by the um various kinds of radical centrist or just like completely soulless hack um you know we're just constantly told that everything is impossible um and i understand to an extent why that would be kind of frustrating us to hear why it would be kind of frustrating to hear the same thing from us but i also in my mind there that's kind of not like it's not about saying that something like police abolition would be in principle impossible or undesirable. It's not saying that, like, we're going to, like, 
it's not saying that like oh that's like silly or unrealistic it's just saying well like a it can't like a it kind of doesn't matter in principle like whether you're kind of determining like like in an abstract sense like whether it's good or bad it's saying like no if you go and attempt to put this practice put this into practice yeah, if you try to like actualize this concept then like, you, if you start like saying okay like here we have this big concept obviously like this is a big project a big project is made up of a lot of small steps let's work out what some of those small steps are and then let's break them down into even smaller steps and then let's start trying to put some of those smaller steps into action and then let's see what are the arguments and the conversations and like the debates over strategy and it's the entirely new set of really complex questions that come out of that isn't like it's just going to lead to like a, a different way of thinking that is going to like it's it's not going to hurt like the broader movement but it's going to like underpin it and make it more robust but it'll, like yeah absolutely well, we kind of like drifted away a little from the question of whether it's like racist to be hopeful for the future. Or... Which it is, to be clear. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. <laughs> but I, I do think this whole like, I, I do think this is the mechanism that is leading people to think that. Because yes. like, I think that what we have now is a kind of uh, abolitionist politics that just says, well, nothing can ever change unless everything changes all at once. Like Which is a very, like, a comfortable position to take in a way. Like, it's very um, convenient just to be like, uh, there's no point in me doing anything because, like, you know, my small individual actions wouldn't make any difference and uh, everything needs to change on a scale that's so huge that I couldn't even attempt it. So I guess I don't have to do anything. And, and I think that's why we've got the hope, like, the hopelessness of politics, where, like, as soon as, like, a concrete action is proposed, then it's, well, actually, that would be bad. And also, it's it's naive to think that you could do that. Like, mm. it's... And I think it, it comes from this kind of, like, like failure to really grasp what, like, collective agency is. And, like, I guess the possibility of it to move to move history in any way. And I think that's that's the, the frustrating thing. Mm. And, I yeah, like, I mean, the other thing we hear a lot in, in those arguments is, like, uh, it's... Um, it's bad, like, in, in Australia, in a state like colonial country like Australia... Um, indigenous people have already lived through an apocalypse and so I think the argument goes something like um, everyone who's like uh, saying you know who's arguing for hope that we we can hope that we don't have to you know all all go through another one and with climate change um, you know that line of thinking is really racist because it ignores like the 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 apocalypse that indigenous people have been through and in many ways still going through and like again it's that sort of theoretical thing where I can see the line of reasoning, but I just don't know where it gets you to. Like yeah. you just come up to a point that like you can follow that argument. Maybe it is sound uh, insofar as like what it's trying to say theoretically, but then, then what? Like, so what, what do we do? <laughs> it's very nineties in a way. It's just like, Oh, uh, how can you eat when there's kids starving in Africa? Yeah. It's like, well, because I'm hungry. Like, I'm right? hungry, like, though. like, like, whether I eat or not doesn't actually affect that situation. But, like, what what would affect that situation is if I'm strong and direct my energy towards addressing that in, in a, like, a clear and strategic way. Mm. Well, it's, I mean, it kind of raises bigger questions about what the role of theory even is. Like, is it to, you know, poke clever holes in other people's arguments and be right? Or is it, like, is do we have the end goal is, like, formulating some way of, like... Um, you know, like changing the world, actually, like bringing people along in a way that makes an impact. I'm kind of like, cause like thinking it through now, right? If you were going to say like, okay, okay, I'm a, let's say I'm a police abolitionist, right? And I know that the ultimate goal is I don't think that the institution of police should exist. Um, so that like for a lot of people, that seems to be where the conversation ends. And when you read police abolitionist literature, I've done a lot of, I've been doing a bit of this recently, um, and like most police abolitionist literature, including stuff that's like very, very widely praised in the field, consists of simply restating the premises of police abolition, mm. like just at at length, 
consists of just like, here is every atrocity that's happened in a prison. Therefore, police abolition's good. Like, you might be thinking that actually maybe police reform would work instead. Wrong. Incorrect. So police abolition is good. And just like, it kind of, like, we seem to be locked in this mode of just like, all, uh, like, especially in academia, all of our literature can actually do is just kind of restate the initial premises of our big picture arguments and not like say, well, and like just kind of over and over again. And then it's just kind of endlessly praised by the same crew of people who, and like, who praise everything. Well, and then what, um, do you want to talk about your, uh, what was that book you were reading where they were like, um, yeah, yeah, so yeah. some people might ask what would happen if like someone was trying to break into my house and I wanted to call the police. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I was, <laughs> what is the answer uh, to that? <laughs> abolition does not center that question. Ah, I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that makes it all clear. <laughs> and so, yeah, I was reading a collection of essays by uh, Mariam Carver, who was a very well-respected um, anti-police, police abolition activist and like a strong advocate for um I can't remember if it's restorative or transformative justice or if it's mm -hmm. some other model of justice. Um, but, like, yeah, she's the someone who... There, there was actually a whole Charpo episode where, like, Amber just says, like, oh, no, she's actually not that good. And it's, like, the most hot water they've ever been in. Um, <laughs> I can anyway, imagine actually, we're about to be in similar Anyway, she's, uh, like, actually not that good. But, like, <laughs> not because, like, the goals here are wrong or not because of, like, anything that, like the big picture stuff is wrong. And she, in fact, she like, you know, I like, you kind of read these books and you're like, well, yeah, obviously like the police systems a huge atrocity and in fact, deeply racist and really shit. And like, uh, it's very understandable that like people would want to get rid of it. But the question for me is that, okay, so like you've established this as a laudable goal. Now you have to tell me like, what are the concrete steps that I could like, what could I do tomorrow that would lead us to having something in a month's time that would lead us to having something in a year's time that would lead us to like a future in say like a, a measurable span of time that would not have a police force. Mm. And that's where, and I keep asking these questions and just like going to the literature and reading the literature and people keep telling me that like they've covered this. And then I read the literature and then I'm like, no, you haven't mm. like, because obviously what that entails is going and just not like is going out to a public which largely trusts police officers, largely has a, a reasonably high opinion of the police. Certainly, like, even if it kind of goes back and forth, like, but like, certainly police abolition is a hugely unpopular uh, point of view. Mm. And that's also true of like lots of other things, including Marxism, right? Mm. So that doesn't have to stop you from believing it. Totally. But it does mean that you can't, you have to say, okay, so. I'm going to have to go out and I'm going to have to like knock on doors and talk to people. And I'm going to have to convince them that they're wrong and that the police are in fact bad. And in order to do that, I'm going to have to like engage with them as human beings and treat them with respect. And I'm going to have to deal with their counter arguments. And when they ask questions like, what are we going to do about like all the violent criminals? I'm going to have to center that question <laughs> and I'm going to like, and like, I, you know, I keep reading these people and being like, like, you know, I don't need, like, I want this so that I can go and like say it to other people. Mm. So I can mm. like, when like, you know, if I, if I'm advocating for like abolishing the police or defunding the police, or in fact, like a much less like militarized police, like whatever, I want to be able to like, you know, like I want to be able to say, oh, this is what restorative justice looks like in practice. And like you ask these, like, because that will further the cause that you're pursuing. Like, when you ask these questions and people just kind of get mad at you for asking them and are like, no, that's like racist that you asked that. Mm. And it's like asking me to like clarify a point or like respond to a criticism. When you say you're asking people these questions, I'm curious about like your, what are you in Facebook groups or like how like are you? I'm not in person. I'm just like reading the literature. I see. I see. Basically. Yeah. Um, and just kind of trying to like survey the... Um, like main uh, like books that people have like Kaba and like Angela Davis mm. um, and like a few other things and just kind of like you know reading stuff that people have written so I'm especially am interested in their like alternative justice models and when they talk yeah, about totally. restorative justice they say well look we're sending people to prisons obviously people who go to prisons don't like that's not good you don't come out of them 
cured of being a criminal. That's not how that fucking works. Obviously, like, guys, guys, let's think about this. Let's think about the whole concept of, like, when you commit a crime, you have to go and be locked in a room with, like, you know, what, like, uh, traumatized and fucked up and, like, potentially violent people. That, yeah. Dude, I bet there's, like, uh, just totally different ways of handling this. Yeah, I mean, prisons, like, to be clear, like, prisons are one of the most, like, in- inhuman and terrible inventions I think we've ever come up with, like, mm. as a species. Um, and, like, they absolutely should not exist in most cases, I think. Um, but, yeah, I I don't know. I haven't read the literature, the abolition literature, but, yeah, I agree with a lot of what you're saying there. Um, yeah. Especially, yeah, the, I mean, you do have to at some point, like, centre those questions. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's well, the main thing that kind I, of gets up my nose. And I think that's, that, that's what's so frustrating about it, right, is it's like what the discussion is about is the discussion of the ideal, not the discussion mm. of, of, the, of winning the ideal, mm. like, which, which to some extent is saying, like, that it does that it doesn't really matter because like you can say we we should address climate change at like a global scale like like i think we should do that but saying it without a plan to then do it is really just positioning yourself as as moral in this context Mm. like i think to, to 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 pursue it means seeing it as possible and then pursue like developing a plan and i think that's I think that lack of planning and that lack of kind of expectation is part of part of this hopeless, like this hopeless condition that we have on the left. Yeah. And well, I don't mean hopeless as in like, you know, pathetic. I mean, hopeless as in we, we lack, we, we lack, lack hope. hope. We lack, we lack belief that we could have something good. And we, I think we lack belief that if we were to win and if we were to wield power, we would do it wisely and we mm. would do it justly. And I think that's so yeah, let's, like a sympathetic idea. Let's talk about that a bit. Like this idea that it, in particular, like the Greens should not be aiming to win government, <laughs> um, which strikes me as very curious because you often hear it from people who are otherwise supportive of the Greens, and then as soon as it like even quite a few Greens Greens people Greens and, and people, people and yeah. people I respect, yeah, like, yeah, which I just have to say then like why do we exist? <laughs> like genuinely why? I mean I don't like is your ideal like a, a greens labor government like where we can like pressure them be in the balance of power and like get a few concessions like if if you genuinely don't think that the party should be aiming to hold government like then i don't know like then i guess you don't believe in electoral politics at all and, and that's like a whole different discussion so yeah. it mystifies me and and yeah and i think like a lot of that like that criticism as well so well like well the greens winning government isn't a revolution well no one ever said it was yeah exactly <laughs> but like i don't see a revolution coming down the pipeline anytime soon yeah. so like maybe we should try for something that like uses the tools and structures we have at our disposal in this moment <laughs> also it's not like when you have a revolution everything that existed before ceases to be mm. it's not like there is a you know, people do kind of talk about it this way, and certainly academics do. It's like, ah, but you have the the revolutionary moment as like the historical events where everything just kind of like the nature of everything just alters. It's like, no, you have like you have a a revolution. You have the Russian Revolution or the Cuban Revolution or whatever, and then your country, like all of the same people who were in your country before, are in your country afterwards, and they're still like eating and sleeping and like often just living in the same houses and like going to work in the same jobs and in fact have many of the same ideas in their heads like there's no actual like historical rupture where we can completely just like dispose of the past yeah (laughs) there there, there isn't like there, there really isn't and i think this this conception of of the historical like unfolding of events and being like well look if if we are to win you know if if there is to be a revolution which i think i think most of us would state as our like ultimate kind of hopes for for the political future like the conditions that the conditions that underpin that revolution will have been forming for for quite some time beforehand like you know that there'll be uh a widespread belief uh, that's shared by even what I'd say probably 80% of people in society. If we're going to fundamentally like undo the, the order of things, most people are going to have to be really bought into that plan. Mm. And that this kind of like this, this historical moment of rupture doesn't really exist. It, it happens over probably 40 years and like 20 years either side of that would be like such a incredibly 
dynamic transitionary moment of so many like colluding like social movements with their interest like recognizing their interests as aligned to each other's but it's not it's not this moment and then the the institutions would like institutions continue on like the if the state were to wither like we'd still need to find a way to organize people being fed and moving around their communities to to meet their friends or or engage in productive work or whatever it is you know Mm -hmm. to care for each other or to to produce food Mm mm-hmm and not only that, like, I think, like, one of the interesting things about going door knocking is you kind of realise that people who, um, like, I, I think, you know, we think of Australia maybe as a conservative country, um, a lot of people living very comfortable lives in the suburbs without much political awareness, or certainly not like left wing ideas, um, which is true to an extent. But I think one of the things you realise door knocking is that people do believe in a lot of those things, they just don't they've never thought about it they don't have the language for it no one's ever asked them but like yeah they do think education should be free like yeah they do think everyone has a right to a home not i mean obviously not everyone but like it's and and they don't conceive of it in this like and that should be like massive state provision they Mm. don't it's not like an articulated belief it's just something that they that's that's hidden there yeah totally and so i think like yeah like so in, in one at one level that does support the idea of like, oh, well, one day there'll just be a revolution. Everyone's going to realize their class interests because it is is there. And obviously we wouldn't be doing this work if we didn't think, if we thought that everyone was just like a irredeemable racist who would never like believe in any of the things we do. But I, I think like the idea that that will just happen without any organization or structures surrounding it is, is very naive. Um, that part of electoral politics work, if you're engaging with electoral politics with the idea that... Um, it will lead to maybe something more than electoral politics in future. Like part of that involves setting up the almost like structures or institutions that allow people to arrive at that moment. Um, And that at the moment is is being done through this electoral mechanism. Um, It may change in future, but I, I guess I also just really don't see anything else going on at the moment that does that kind of work. Like I would take these people more seriously if they had an 18 year plan to abolish the state. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like, I really would. I'm not, like, joking about that. I'm like, well, look, like, the end goal for us, you know, the end, the end game here is to, like, nationalise Rio Tinto and, like, just a complete, like, you know, just, like, nationalise the mining companies and, like, all of this other stuff. And, you know, like, to get there from here to say, okay, we're going to seize, like, property, like, billions of dollars in property from some of the richest and scariest people in the world obviously that's very difficult like obviously that's like a decades-long process and we need to start we do need to start planning like decades in advance but like if your if your thing is to say oh no we'll just abolish the state like that's obviously way harder like but also in theory you could do it but you would have to start saying okay okay let's abolish the state how are we going to do that like we need like a 20 or 30 year like no, like actually come up with a 20 or 30 year plan to abolish the state. But like, I think that's one of the kind of, when I was talking before about the convenience of relying so much on theory that, uh, you know, that that um, says that everything is at such a huge scale that there's no point in you taking any individual action. That's kind of part of it because I think there's an idea that historically, like this will just kind of happen as, as, as history kind of unfolds according to how it theoretically is supposed to, then there will just come a moment where this all kind of, kicks off um capitalism producing its own its grave, own grave diggers. diggers yeah uh, and yeah i think that kind of thinking is 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 self-defeating no like where the grave diggers like we're digging the graves now but Gotta like, do we it. actually yeah. we actually have to do the digging yeah um i guess like one of the things i've been actually really thinking about this so i mean there is i think a real historical process by which we've arrived at this politics um and I think a few things. So obviously the the last, like, I don't know, 50 years has been char- really characterized by um, first the uh, the defeat of the organized working class left and, like, the neoliberal turn in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we have to, like, like we have to center that as, the like, the basis for, for this hopeless condition that we're experiencing now is most people haven't got an experience of engaging in a collective institution with any means of changing their society and... A hopelessness and and a and a, a 
uh, reaching for like an impossible kind of dream of all, all things being ruptured, all things being different makes sense in that context. But also, um, and I think this is really important, um, massive social liberalization in all of these different spheres. So measurably, like, and you know, you can very easily measure this stuff. You can just go and measure social attitudes. This is like uh, the least racist that um, Australians have ever been. And like the least sexist and like we've had since really since they started to measure this stuff but like certainly we've had this kind of it's been this kind of dual thing well on the one hand yes like the total defeat of like the unions and of organized labor and of kind of mass politics but on the other hand enormous progress has been made in all these like in the fields of gay rights in the fields of um like feminism and in the fields of uh equal rights for people of color and for trans people and all this like that sort of, like, all of these sort of realms, there has been just a, a slow and steady process of, um, like, uh, the world becoming, like, very genuinely and very significantly becoming a better place. And, like, so there's stuff like, I think uh, same-sex marriage is maybe the clearest example of a huge win that, like, made the world a hugely better place for a huge amount of people that... The seems to have been won, yes, by like like a, you know, certainly like like a lot of struggle over a long period of time, but also just by this like, just a gradual like. I, I guess that's what I'm saying is that like nobody really fully understands why that happened. Mm. I don't think anyone really. I think we take it for granted that like oh the world just becomes more socially liberal over time. People just become less racist and less homophobic, like maybe i think it kind of ties into like the 90s like liberal progressivism where it's just like oh like because we're coming we're becoming more scientifically enlightened almost like we're right. just becoming smarter but i also think that kind of that mode of change precisely because it's been so successful and like because it's won all these really important victories um is kind of locked into people's brains as like oh this is how we achieve change happens, now which yeah. is it just kind of well, not to minimize the role of the people who actually fought really hard for these things. Yeah, exactly. But it's like, oh, okay, we achieve change in these fields through like a gradual shift in social attitudes over time, um, constantly like driven on by like a kind of uh, like a cultural um, osmosis and just mm. like kind of gently shifting and like you know, educating people through... Which is, like, like, a very... Like, if you contrast that to the other mode of organising of the 20th century, which is union organising, which is, yeah. like, very materially based on, like, you know, we, we have these demands, we are going to, like, strike or withdraw our labour until we get them, um, which is, yeah, I don't know. You can see one's died away, the other one's come into prominence. Yeah, and I think, like, you know, people kind of look at these two modes and they go, like, well, one of these, like, they got owned and like were destroyed and <laughs> yeah. the other one in fact won a lot of really important victories well so, not only like, that but yeah. like like Declan said like most people have no experience yeah, 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 of the yeah, first yeah. mode and the whole tradition of it's gone but we're at a point now where we're beginning to hit these like major economic crises like crises these like crises of capitalism um where like classes re-emerged into the discourse for the first time in fucking like decades um and, like, some of these problems that we're having right now, in fact, they're not going to be resolved through, like, gradual cultural osmosis. We're not going to, like... Like, we're not going to win... I don't know. What do we want to win? We're gonna, not going to nationalise Rio Tinto just by, like, people just slowly change... Like, by the Overton window shifting. Well, I think it's very... That's very interesting because it, it brings up one of my, like, bugbears that I hate, which is this idea of classism. Like, people... You see this a lot in sort of, like... Um, a certain type of, of text that often goes around on the internet uh, where where people talk about like racism, sexism and classism. And so it's just like another form of discrimination, which is such a fucked way of looking at it and completely ignores like the fact that class has a completely different um, basis than like other, shall we say, identity. Like it's not really an identity in that way. Um, and it is not like a question of discrimination, I guess. Uh, but people are approaching it as though it is. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think that, you know, we've had this kind of return of class and then people are using the tools that they already have in their toolbox to try and understand yeah. what class is. Um, and it's really, no, it's like a... 
Like it's it's a totally different way of approaching the question. Mm-hmm. And I I think part of this is is looking at looking at change in terms of like what time like period and what scale you're looking at. Um, I've been listening to a lot of um, Jeremy Gilbert, who's a British cultural theorist and fan- absolutely fantastic. But a lot of what he's talking about is being like, well, we need to take like the next 40 years is the period that we should be looking at at any given moment in history, right? That's the next mm. 40 years is, is when you should be kind of like thinking about things. And over the next 40 years, we've, we've reached a point now where we've seen the end We've seen neoliberalism as a mode of, like, a regime of capital accumulation. Um, if we had the Fordist kind of model where it was, like, mass production, we had the neoliberal one where it was financialization. We're moving into we're moving into a slightly different one now, like, people would argue with around the platform economy. And, well, that, that opens up different political possibilities. And I think that's part of why this discourse of class is starting to reemerge is because we're starting to starting to see the antagonisms in society a little bit more clearly as as they start trying to fit themselves into a new kind of regime. Um, and in that context, what the left needs to do to win is identify that people have their interests in the next 40 years can be aligned to various projects, right? Like, and, and if we want to talk about racism, people can... Like white people can have their their interests aligned with white supremacy in that it excludes certain people from the labor force or it, it forces them into like marginalized labor circuits where they get paid less and have a worse time where white people get to work in universities and in the media and have a better time of work. So there is a material benefit to race to this racism there, but there's also a material benefit to abolishing racism and having a better world for everybody where we all share we all share in the fruits of our, you know, labor together and articulating to people on that, that is their interest and that they could choose is really, really important. And not that you have to choose for a moral reason, but that you can choose based on what's best for you and articulating the, the way over the next 40 years, what's best for everybody, including you as an individual is this alliance of all of us against, against the people who currently run the fucking show. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, some of what you were saying there just reminded me of a earlier point when um, Matt was talking about the same-sex marriage thing, and we didn't have the podcast then, so I couldn't air all my frustration at the time, but that really struck me as like a, a good example of of determined hopelessness, hopelessness, yeah, you know what I mean, <laughs> um, the, the, the state of lacking hope, like, that was a really great thing that, like, so 60 whatever percent of Australia like was like, yes, I do think um, same sex couples should be able to marry. Like that was awesome. Like great. The social attitudes have shifted so much. Like it's a very convincing majority, like on the side of a progressive social issue. But like there were so many people at the time being like, uh, it really sucks that we have to do this vote. Uh, and yeah, it's only 60 something percent. It's not, not big enough, not, not a big enough majority. It's like this, this fucking sucks. Like, yeah. Yeah. I've, I found this whole process traumatic and well, yeah. yeah, like, like, which isn't to dismiss that people would have found it harmful. Like, I think that's, that's probably true, but yeah, it's a slightly different we... argument though, than whether it should have happened at all, which yeah. I think it, like the, the problem I have with that argument, which says that the referendum should never have happened is like, um, it, it really what it's basically saying is that ordinary people um, can't be like no power should be vested in ordinary people. We should just leave people, uh, you know, policymakers and politicians to make all the decisions for us. And, and they should make the right ones. Yeah. Yeah. Like, look, I didn't I didn't like seeing people put up homophobic signs around where I live. No, um, I got really angry and annoyed. Also, we won. We destroyed yeah. those people. Yeah, yeah we did. We lost like, to those people that they are increasingly socially irrelevant. Those but, people are defeated for all time. And like, they, they, they're still going to exist. Like, whether or not the referendum is there, they will still be existing. Um, yeah, like Declan said, like, it, it, it does... It, obviously, this process caused some harm. Um, would have been hard to, like, see homophobic posters and so on. But there was also, like, 60-whatever percent of people were on the right side. There were tons, tons, tons more, like, pro... Um, like yes vote posters up I don't know like it's kind of the nature of cultural struggle I guess is that you are going to have to confront attitudes that are, are difficult and are not your own and are sometimes like harmful or traumatic to confront but I guess in the long run I would rather have that and 
be victorious through like a, a, a big community campaign that organized people that drew on these changing social attitudes that, and that won than just be like, uh, none of that is politics isn't shouldn't be ever in the public realm. I just want people in Canberra to pass the right legislation. And and I think like how it, it seems quite unrealistic to to think that there can be significant changes wrought through society without confrontation. Yeah, that's like, pretty much it. Yeah. Like, why why would that ever happen? Like, why would that ever happen? Like, if 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 we try to understand that these like these attitudes and, and whether we're talking about you know class power and and how crap it is to be forced to do shit work for low pay and have shit like housing and crappy rent and all this sort of stuff, or we're talking about how crap it is to be someone that people just fucking hate because of how you look or who you want to fuck. Like, th- those things have evolved for a reason and and are, and are forces of social power to, to hold material things in the world and hold material things in the world. And that to confront that and to beat that, obviously then people holding that, that material power do- aren't just going to give it up nicely. Mm. Like, that's just... It would be great if they did, but I don't... I can't see how or why that would ever happen. Mm. Well, like, maybe here is where we talk about how the left fetishizes trauma. Yeah. Um, the left has a deeply... <laughs> We're really getting into all our most cancelable opinions on this podcast. Yeah, well, podcast. Look, someone... It's got to be said. Look, yeah, the left has a deeply unhealthy relationship with trauma where, like, the more traumatized you are, or, uh, in fact, uh, more accurately, the more traumatized you can represent yourselves as being, uh, the more clout you have. And really, like, is there, this is kind of a 90s thing as well where we've just absorbed this, like psychotherapeutic model of um like mode of language and of like discussion where it was like um i don't know we're all kind of uh like broken in some way but Mm. but also like we could never like stand like we could never be strong anyway or we could never like Yeah. yeah you see a lot of this coming up in like critiques of the idea of resilience like actually it's it's very bad to like suggest someone or suggest that resilience is a good thing because that just means that like it's you know it's okay to further traumatize people because they're resilient or whatever like um i guess apart from being like a very strange way of looking at politics that kind of assumes that assumes a moral lens almost like a um like a almost a personal lens rather than like looking at how you know forces of and structures of power operate in society um it, yeah, it really sets up everyone as victims, and I guess I just don't see that as a similar to the to the thing where I was I was talking about before about like how uh, like I guess I, I don't know I, I guess I just don't see it as a as a useful strategy. Like I think we should be asking ourselves a lot more, not like is this you know morally correct or like um, politically the you know the absolute the, the purest position but is it useful like where, where does it lead us and yeah, I, like what's what strategies does does conceptualizing of this in this way what strategies does that inform mm, exactly and that, that's a really interesting question yeah. yeah well like the worst thing you can do if you're traumatized which a lot of people are but like is to just start thinking of yourself as like oh i'm the traumatized guy that's yeah. my main thing is being traumatized actually like this you know the fact that i'm depressed means i'm kind of more sensitive than other people like it actually that is like that means i'm like i'm interesting i have adhd and i can do whatever i want (laughs) um but yeah i I felt this a little this kind of discordance a bit recently with um uh when you know earlier this year there's all uh, um, a couple of high profile like really terrible murders of, of women um and then like there was, and then at the same time, obviously, this was coinciding with a lot of the like weird sex pest stuff in Canberra and the Brittany Higgins stuff, and so there was a lot of discourse about like women, I guess, and like, and and a lot of people online were like, yeah, you know, I'm a woman, and um, I like the most uh, wild one I read was this woman was like, every time I go in a taxi, um, I pull out a strand of my hair and leave it in the taxi. Um, because then I, I know that if the taxi driver murders me later, there'll be DNA evidence. Um, I told this to my male partner and he was like completely shocked, but you know, it's just one of those things that all women do. We never even think twice about it. And I was reading it going like, what? <laughs> I've never even entered my mind to, to do such a thing. This is like patiently insane. What's wrong with you? Um, that was just one example, but yeah, there are yeah. a lot of other 
things being like, oh, I'm a woman, I don't go out after dark or whatever. And I was like, that's not at all what, it, it, that doesn't track with my experience whatsoever. Like I almost felt like there was a bit of trauma being forced on me. And like, if I didn't, um, you know, a- adopt this identity as a traumatized subject that was somehow like politically suspect. Yeah, yeah. Like my dad was disabled and like very disabled and mm. became progressively more and more disabled until he fucking died of being too disabled. Um and, like, the thing is, you know, the thing that most shat me about the whole thing was, like, people just having, like, really half ass sympathy for it and just being like, oh, you poor thing. Oh, it's so tough. Like, uh, I don't know, like, the kind of walking on eggshells around, like, disabled people and the, like, the treatment of, you kind of go, you know, you're, you're disabled, so you kind of go from being just a normal human being to this fucking, like, inspiration porn mm-hmm. or this just, like, oh, oh, I get to I get to talk about how good and good I am because I, like, treated you like a human being. Oh, oh, no. Like, yeah. This, like, um, yeah, like, you, you just become a tool for somebody else to use in their own, like, uh self-indulgent politics of just like oh i'm supporting you and your trauma and then if you're actually like no i'm actually not traumatized it's just something that i live with like then they're like no shut the fuck up you're traumatized (laughs) like stop like yeah and like i think there's like this culture of the the reification of of trauma that we have as well like the 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 strategy that that informs is that we demonstrate such meekness to our oppressors that they they eventually feel a level of sympathy and stop which that's yeah that's kind of what i was trying to get at before there's like there's the lens of like personal abuse being put on politics and it doesn't fit well they won't stop yeah <laughs> weird they have so we so we yeah. need so we need something else and that that obviously isn't to say like i don't think anyone here would argue that we shouldn't talk about like the various ways that our society like traumatizes the fuck out of us but 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 that's not the most interesting thing about us. The mm-hmm. most interesting thing about us is our is our plan to change that for for like so that I don't have to do it, but also so that you don't have to do it, and so that the person like across the road doesn't have to experience this as well. Like that 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 the most interesting thing about trauma is is the way it builds a a rage and a commitment to prevent this from happening ever again and mm. to other people. Yeah, that's how like. Like, that's how you recover dignity. Like, Mm. I found it so undignified, the idea that we're just supposed to, like, kind of sit around feeling sorry for ourselves. My my mom actually gets, like, really, like, much more angry about this than I do. Because she's like, oh, like, people expected me to, like, be a widow and to, like, just kind of sit at home crying for the rest of my life. And she's just like, that's so, like, like, I'm already putting up with having to, like you know, tend to my, like, disabled husband who's then going to die. Like, it's so, like, it's actually a massive additional burden. It's so, like, such an undignified way to live. And, like, the actual thing you've got to do is recover some self-respect and say, well, like, okay, like, this fucked thing happened and, like, I had to, like, go through all these fucked situations because of it. But, like, it certainly does not define me as a human being. And, in fact, I can still do shit. Like, in fact, I can, in fact, still, like, have hope and find things that are good in my life and like live in a better way than I'm currently living. And I think even like maybe to start wrapping it up and bringing that, that context of hope from like from the individual to the social level, it is about identifying like hope is about identifying strategies to win and, and to change things and to recognize that that can happen, that there is, there is the possibility of a collective subject that does shape the world. Like, and like we have to, if, if we live in a society that traumatizes people, it's because, like, our society has people producing that kind of context mm. that can only infer that the opposite is also possibly true. Like, we could also have a society that doesn't do that. Like, Well, I think that the lens of trauma gives rise to a very specific response, which is basically, like, I see you, I hear you, you're valid. Uh, and what that response obviously leaves out is, like, what are you going to do about it? I think, uh, yeah. I think people... Like, especially as well, if you haven't gone through something really kind of fucked and unpleasant, people don't know how to talk about it. So no one really wants to be the guy who, like, goes to the traumatized person and says, looks like, okay, that's great, but, like, you have to stop crying now. (laughs) And I do think that's actually, like, we've got to, on some levels, like start doing that like we well, actually... and i think we have to we have to look at like the the traumatizing apparatus that we have is is yeah. one of like globalized capitalism right yeah. and at some point we have to 
as a working class, stop crying. Yeah. And yeah. say, like, this... Yeah, yeah, obviously it fucking sucks. No one likes this. It's bad. It fucking hurts us all. And it hurts us all in really different ways. But we are capable... We have to understand ourselves as capable of doing something if we are then going to direct our, our attention to doing something. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we have... Why would you direct effort to changing it if you don't believe it's possible? And I think that's that's part of what's happening with this, the the conceptualization thing. Yeah. It's like it might happen in the future. Let's talk about it as a concept, as opposed to saying, "What can we do to win it now?" Yeah, yeah, we have to accept that, like, and we do have to like accept that traumatized people are capable of doing things. Like, you know that that's how like that's how you create a situation. Like that's how you get to a position where you're not as traumatized, mm-hmm. and that's how you like you actually do do things yeah i mean i i don't want to like recycle podcast content but i remember like hearing a story on chapo from someone who was like oh i have really bad social anxiety and like i wanted to do something for the bernie campaign but for ages i just thought no i can't do it because of my anxiety and then i started doing text banking I, like finally basically like eventually forced myself to do some text banking and it was like so much better than what i thought and it made me feel so powerful. <laughs> and like, I don't know, I just think that is a way uh, more useful response than being like, no, I'm too traumatized. I'm too anxious. Like the conditions of my life and the things I have to endure and worry about uh, have made me incapable. Um, like there is like, yeah, doing something in and of itself actually makes you feel a lot better. Um, that in itself is like, I think much more helpful than just focusing on the trauma. Uh, and just like, to go back to where we started, just posting about the trauma. Even posting about the trauma, yeah. Yeah, and and I think like what what that's kind of inferring as well is is like, it's it's the lack of this experience of of a collectivity that can change yeah. shape society that is producing this hopelessness. Yeah, totally. And yeah, this is not to say it should be clear. Like, not trying to I don't know be really mean to people who feel themselves to be traumatized or anxious or anything like. Else. I feel myself to be traumatized, depressed, anxious, or constantly. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I think. Like, it, yeah, it's it's not a personal failing. It's the conditions of our society that have made you feel that way. But it's also, like, the left's response to this has been woefully inadequate and has actually, um, you know, I couldn't have designed it better if I were the deep state to, like, continue perpetuating this sense of hopelessness and never do anything. Um, I think what... Uh, so, so this sense of hopelessness that's been created by by the lack of any sort of collective vehicle for, for changing our lives for the better is, is there... And so, therefore, what you'd need to start experience a sense of hope would be engaging in some sort of collective vehicle to change your life for the better. And that's why it's incredibly important to have, like, bounded, time-limited plans to achieve X. Like, a, a win-lose thing where you can engage in some sort of plan to, to change some something. It doesn't really matter what that is. And that experience of collectivity is what, will, what you can find yourself find in yourself a sense of hope and find in yourself a sense of power and that will change how you can therefore go forward into the future and that's i think what the left is needs so much agreed yeah that sounds right <laughs> okay all Any? right we didn't introduce ourselves at the start oh, shit. i've been Declan. <laughs> i've been joe <laughs> uh, i've been matt okay bye bye, bye. <laughs>